this episode of Commercial Contracts 2022 podcasts, a series of podcasts by Stevens and Bolton designed to help you and your colleagues update or improve your terms, conditions, master service agreements or standard terms, conditions and outsourcing arrangements. I'm Beverly Flynn, Partner and Head of Commercial and Technology here at SMB. And today I'm joined by a Head of Regulatory and Competition, Gustav Dutz, who's going to speak to us about the inclusion of force majeure clauses in standard terms. Probably something that we wouldn't really have bothered with too much in the past or really looked into in detail, but following Brexit and COVID, probably these days a more strategic clause or one that gives rise to more interest for commercial lawyers and those who are negotiating contracts. So Gustav, let's start with a basic question. What is force majeure? Uh, hi everyone, thanks Beverly. Um, force majeure is originally a, a civil law concept in legal terms. Um, the, the clue I guess is in the French. Um, it really means an overwhelming event and while it has a defined meaning in civil law jurisdictions, uh, like, like in France, uh, it doesn't actually have a clear legal meaning uh, in England, but English law has given effect to it. Uh, and so it refers generically to a clause um, that seeks to give parties rights, specific rights in the event of um, circumstances beyond their reasonable control occurring, uh, most often, I guess, a right to suspend or terminate a contract. Uh, in the event of certain specified events. Okay, so it's actually a contractual right under English law as opposed to a, a, a known kind of um, legal concept that, that applies in a civil law jurisdiction. That's right. Okay, and so why is force majeure viewed as particularly relevant these days? Probably the clue was in my intro, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've we've been dealing with um, force majeure events, arguably more frequently than than they occurred in in the uh, uh, previous decades. I guess before um, before these these more recent times, uh, and there's a few different reasons for that. I suppose um, initially we had a period, I think, and we continue to have a period of of more volatile weather and climate change, um, which has led to certain force majeure events, uh, for example, flooding, and, and there have been issues in contracts around those. Um, we then obviously had Brexit, uh, which uh, had everyone scrambling for uh, ways to uh, uh, renegotiate or get themselves out of inconvenient contractual arrangements. And then on top of Brexit now, we have COVID. So, uh, uh, with that, with that pandemic, uh, people have again been looking to renegotiate or, or reassess or get out of contracts that haven't served them uh, because of these unforeseen um, and arguably to some extent catastrophic events, um, at the very least in the case of the, the climate and the um, COVID. Um, obviously, there's more of a debate around Brexit and how to characterise that. Nonetheless, I think we've had more circumstances leading to force majeure being claimed, or at least the uh, implications being analysed in more detail uh, than we perhaps had uh, in the time before the more recent times. Yeah, understood. And I suppose really it, it's a, a question of what goes into the drafting of the force majeure clause. You mentioned pandemic, and I know there's there's something about epidemic as well. So maybe a little bit on analysis when you're drafting them. Yeah, I think, you know, it, 
the analysis becomes quite complicated and like any contractual clause it's all very well in theory I, I suppose force majeure to some extent before more recent times might have been a little bit of an afterthought a clause that people didn't necessarily pay a lot of attention to I think these the spotlight of ha having these events which people which have caused people to analyze the clauses in more detail uh, has really meant that uh, looking at the drafting in detail has has become um, much more important. Uh, and there's various elements I think we might highlight in a force majeure clause, and one of which, which you've just raised, is is around definitions. So what what is a force majeure event for the purposes of the contract? Um, and often you're talking there about fires, floods, war, uh, but also uh, epidemic or pandemic. And you realise that all of those, once you're actually dealt with, dealing with a with a specific event, um, you can have lots and lots of of room for disagreement around whether or not the event uh, that you're talking about actually falls within the definition that you've given it. So epidemic is one, obviously a more localised um, outbreak. Pandemic is a is a more general outbreak, and whether there's a distinction between the two, and if you put both in and then delete one, you know what's the effect of that? So there's lots and lots of interesting uh, areas around definition that you can look at. But then there are lots of other issues within the force majeure clause which might be worth dwelling on uh, briefly. So not only do you have the definition of what constitutes the event, what's the result of that event um, uh, happening? What's the trigger event uh, for you actually being able to invoke the force majeure clause? So for example, does the force majeure have to persist for, a, for an amount of time? What does the consequence have to be of the event? You know, is it is it that you can't do business at all, or is it that it makes business more difficult to do uh, under the contract? So again, you need to think about that. Are there exclusions? Are there specific things that you want to remove from the definitions or from the scope of force majeure? Maybe the classic one there is is um, uh, whether or not the parties have taken reasonable steps um, to to um, to mitigate against the risks of the force majeure. Uh, another classic one is where you know when you're talking about industrial action, is it uh, just third party industrial action or does it apply to the industrial action of the, the parties to the contract themselves? Uh, what are the reporting obligations in relation to force majeure? So if a force majeure event happens, what do the parties have to do about it? Uh, does one party have to go to the other to tell them about the force majeure event and is there a deadline for how quickly they do that? What are the evidence requirements around force majeure? So do you have to prove it? How do you prove it? I mean, in international contracts, sometimes you see a requirement to get a certificate from the local chamber of commerce to show that you've been subject to a force majeure event. And then finally, what are the consequences? And I've touched on those already, but are you entitled in, the, in light of that to suspend? Do you have to endure for a, a certain period of time before you suspend? Are you entitled to terminate? And then what are the consequences of terminating for force majeure? And I think, you know, one of the interesting aspects we might come on to is the extent to which force majeure interacts with other clauses under the contract or indeed other rights under common law. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes you do see that there's a, a right of suspension when you're invoking force majeure and then the parties try to specifically address whether or not charges are payable, for example. All of these things can get quite heated I imagine. Um, are there any pitfalls associated with FM clauses, force majeure clauses that you would perhaps comment on or highlight? Yeah I mean I think plenty. I think in a way this um, this period has really shown 
uh, how difficult it can be or how much harder it can be to invoke a right of force majeure than perhaps one first thought uh, or, or thinks. Um, not defining it clearly enough, not really thinking. I think with, with a lot of these kind of issues, it's worth really thinking about what are the possible events that could uh, that could that could occur and and people I mean the challenge of that in force majeure is always that you know one of the requirements often drafted in is that it needs to be uh, something that couldn't have been reasonably foreseen or avoided so in light of that it's quite hard then to anticipate what you might be dealing with but I suppose we have a better idea now of how these things are likely to pan out um, so we can tighten the drafting some sometimes. So I think having loose drafting around force majeure clauses is is a is a very common pitfall. Um, and then you need to think very carefully about, as always, who in practice is more likely to need it and who in practice is more likely to rely on the clause. Um, so uh, and in light of that, I guess you need to to play your cards accordingly in terms of whether you're looking to put force majeure in at all, uh, and then if you do put it in. Um, how tightly drafted it is or how generally it might apply. Yes, because you kind of assume that the force majeure clause is going to benefit the supplier of the services or the supplier of the goods, the seller of the goods. But but I appreciate that if if you don't have a force majeure clause, then of course frustration could, uh, the concept of frustration may intervene, which then adds another layer of complication. Uh, any practical experiences you care to share from the recent period? Uh, yeah, I mean, so the, this issue around frustration, the interaction you've just mentioned is an, is an interesting one. Uh, frustration obviously stands uh, in a way behind force majeure. So if you have an intervening event that makes uh, the performance of the contract um, impossible in circumstances uh, which couldn't have been foreseen by the parties at the time of contracting, then it may frustrate the contract. Um, so quite often those two travel hand hand in hand and so are analysed when it comes down to it together. Um, and uh, clearly you want to make sure as far as possible, if you think there's a possibility that you might need to exit, that the contract provides for that form of exit in the force majeure clause rather than having to rely on the doctrine of frustration. Um, I suppose the other practical issue is the, you know, Making sure that there's, a, in a way, the the the, the frustrating event, the for, sorry, the force majeure event needs to lead to the party not being able to form the contract, and sometimes there can be a problem um, getting all the way there. If you take um, COVID as an example, uh, it may be that there's a COVID pandemic, uh, but to to what extent does that COVID pandemic really make the performance of the contract impossible? In most cases, I would say. In relation to COVID, it may have increased the cost of people performing a contract. It may well not have led to them not being able to perform it at all. I guess the exceptions to that might be where the government has imposed a ban on people doing anything at all in a particular sector. And I suppose that's where we've seen most force majeure um, arguments uh, where, where people have literally been stopped by the government. But then quite often the government's advice in relation to COVID hasn't always been a clear prohibition. Sometimes they've been advising people, we advise you to stay at home and only work if you can. Well, where does that put you if you're a contracting party? Um, um, do you need to put your put your people in harm's way in order to try to overcome the force majeure event? 
understood uh, understood i mean it's quite it's quite actually quite extensive when you start to think about it and unpick it uh i wonder whether you've got any top tips for those who are revisiting their force majeure clauses or updating their t's and c's their msa's at present their services arrangements is there anything you'd like to add top tip maybe I think the top tip always in this is to think really practically about where you anticipate your your sort of weaknesses and where you anticipate the risks actually occurring in practice. And that should inform then the drafting of the force majeure clause, uh, along with many others. I think start, the starting point of starting with a standard precedent uh, and then checking whether to amend it. <laughs> is often how things happen in practice. But if you can start from from fundamentals and think really carefully about uh, what vulnerabilities there are uh, in your performance of a contract as a supplier, and typically I think as you've alluded to, this is a supplier issue, um, then I think you can end up in a position where you've got a much better and more appropriate force majeure clause uh, than if you simply start from a ge generic precedent. Well, thank you, Gustav. And on that note, I think we'll all be going back to revisit our force majeure clauses and adding epidemic and pandemic in there at some point, maybe. Yeah, along with uh, who knows what else. <laughs> Thanks ever so much. Great. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you for all our listeners for tuning in today. Please do contact me or usual Stevenson Bolton contact if you'd like any further information that we've discussed. Please look out for any future podcasts on issues that may be of relevance to your standard terms and conditions. Thanks for listening.